0: I've been here, it's good to have Dr. Rose with us today, and that's Jack Juanita, for those of you that don't want to call her doctor, and it's good to have the Myers with us today. We appreciate you being here so very, very much. I'm starting a series today, and it's really upon the people of God, but first I want to start with Everybody. And so that's what these passages are about. It's quite a lengthy reading here, but it's God's eternal purpose for man. And so I want to read all of this. In Acts 17, 16 through 31, it says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he beheld the city full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with Jews and devout persons, and in the marketplace every day with them that met him. And certain also the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers encountered him. And some said, What would this babbler say? Others, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached Jesus and the resurrection. And they took hold of him brought him into the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is, which was spoken by thee. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears, we would know therefore what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the strangers sojourning there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. And Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Ye men of Athens, in all things I perceive that ye are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship in ignorance, this I set forth unto you. The God that made the world and all things therein, he being Lord that made heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Neither is he served by men's hands as though he needed anything. Seeing he himself giveth all life, and breath, and all things. And he made of one every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed seasons and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek God, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain even of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Being then the offspring of God, We ought not to think that the Godhead is likened to gold or silver or stone, graven by art and device of man. The times of ignorance therefore God overlooked. But now he commandeth all men everywhere that they should repent. Inasmuch as he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. In Acts, the 17th chapter here, we have a people that were very, very religious. And these people being religious, they didn't want to miss any God. They had a God for everything. They had a God for the sun. They had a God for the moon. They had a God for the harvest. They had a God for the crops. They had a God for everything you can think of, for the rivers and so on. And over here, setting one place, they didn't want to miss any. We may have missed a God, and so they set up this God. They would bring their offerings to them, and one of the things that they were wanting is they were wanting blessings from all these gods. And in this, the Apostle Paul is shocked that they're in idolatry. And it thinks, I think about us today then we certainly are in idolatry. And I don't mean the church, I mean the world around us. They are in idolatry, they're worshipping all kinds of gods. And the main god that they're worshipping is themselves. One of the things that you notice about religion is very, very often in our prayers, all we pray about is us. We don't pray about the church, we don't pray about others, we, don't pray. we pray about us. And God is saying all the way through, you need to be interested in something besides just yourself. Yes, you're going to get blessings if we worship right. So these people, they built temples. Have you noticed the church buildings today, how fancy they are, how big they are, and so on? And we're very proud of that. Now, we've got this building, and we're glad we have this building. But one of the things, I've watched churches split. And I can remember a church, and this was back in the Midwest, It was a great brick building, and when they divided, finally, one of the women went over and she kissed the brick and said, we help lay you. And I thought how sad that is, that we fall in love with the building instead of with each other. These people dedicated, finely wrought statuaries. I mean, they made the very best, and they gave their God's lavish gifts. It reminds me of a fellow I knew once in Kansas, that he didn't come to church very often, but he would send in $50 every week. And the elders didn't want to take action with this fellow for the simple reason that he was sending $50 a week. And I'm going to tell you something, you can't buy God. You need to recognize, and they needed to recognize something. They failed to understand something, and that is, what does God want? And I think that ought to be the question for everybody. What does God want of me? We spend all of our time fighting. We spend all of our time doing these things. We live like the devil during the week, but then on Sunday we come and we give our gifts to God. Or Paul says, I want to describe to you the true God. And he says, the God that made the world and all things therein, he being Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples. I want you to write that down. Made with hands. Neither is he served by men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he himself giveth to all life and breath and all things. So he's saying how absurd it is for you to think that God lives in any kind of a material thing or that he is pleased by anything that you give him, but rather he is getting at the heart. What are you giving of your heart to God? And that's what the question is going to be about everything. God has a certain response that he wants from man. He wants you to respond to his love in a certain way, and that's what we're talking about today. God wants something, and he tells what that is in Acts 17, 26, and 27. He made one of every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed season and bounds for their habitation, that they should seek God, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. In Romans, the first chapter, if you will remember, man is described as shown that God is just in condemning all mankind. And we again get a glimpse of God's desire for his creatures. Paul says men should, could pursue could perceive God's eternal power and deity by, desert, by observing the product of his creation and are without excuse because they, though they knew God they did not glorify him as God nor were they thankful. Now think about that. When we observe everything and you know Tyler said this morning we're thankful for this day even though we weren't promised this day. But in this day, have you observed the sunshine? Now that's better than fog to me. Have you observed the sunshine? Have you observed how beautiful it is out there? Have you observed the birds? Have you observed the things about us? And God says, I want you to look out here and draw a conclusion about that. And that conclusion that we draw about that is that there is a supreme being. And that supreme being is the one that we are to look to And that supreme being is the one that we recognize that we're going to answer to. The flip side of these negatives is God wants man to do four things. Number one, God wants us to glorify him. Now, have you noticed, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. His name means that he is capable of doing everything he says he can do. And that is everything that is good. Do you remember Jesus said, I came to glorify your name and I have glorified it. How did he glorify it? He had glorified it by living it. He lived out and demonstrated what God could do, what he could do, and therefore they come to the conclusion this must be God with us. And so he is there, and we need to glorify him and lift him up, and he is the one that is above every name and above everything, and he can accomplish exactly what he wants to accomplish, and we can rest assured that he can do it. So we glorify God for that. Number two, he says, give him thanks. We are in a society today that complains about everything. We don't have time for the bickering. We don't have time for the... We need to give him thanks for what we have. We complain about everything. We talked about this Wednesday night, you remember, that people complain about everything instead of giving thanks to God. I'm thankful today because I have a wife. I'm thankful today because I have a son. I'm thankful today because I have a daughter-in-law. I'm thankful today because we have a congregation. I'm thankful today that Stephen Monica's daughter is here today. And her name is Paige. Thankful. 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 Don't have time for all of this. We're into politics and we're under all of these this junk that we need to be thankful. So glorify him and give him thanks. Do you have anything to be thankful for? Really? Or do we look and we say, you know what? I didn't like her hair. I didn't like this. Give him thanks. Worship him. You know what it means to worship him? It means that you prostrate yourself down down and you are worshiping God. He needs to be worshiped. Do you remember the effect when you, you come along and you shake hands with God and you realize I just shook hands with God? You're like Doubting Thomas my Lord and my God. I worship you. I worship you with all of my heart. We are to recognize recognize our dependence upon him. You can't take a breath. You know, some people say, I like to be alone. If you're completely alone, how do you go to the grocery store? There's nobody there to wait on you. We are dependent upon people and we're dependent upon God. In Genesis 1, 26, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Man in his image. What does that mean? Well, it's certainly not in reference to our bodies because God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So there's something about man that is like God, but yet at the same time, it is not this body. What is in the image of God? I want you to remember something. God does not have a form. He took on form when he came here, and we're arguing about that on Wednesday night, and it's a good argument. But he did not have form in heaven. Do you remember in Deuteronomy 4, 12 through 19, Then Jehovah spake unto you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the voice of your words, but you saw no form. Only you heard a voice. And he declared unto you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, even the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them upon two tables of stone. And Jehovah commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and ordinances, that you might do them in the land, whether you go over to possess it. "...take ye therefore good heed unto yourself, for you saw no manner of form on the day that Jehovah spake unto you in Horeb out of the midst of the fire, lest you corrupt yourselves and make you a graven image in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any beast that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flieth in the heavens, the likeness of anything that creepeth on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. And lest thou lift up thine eyes into heaven, and when thou seest the sun and the moon and the stars and even all the host of heaven, thou be drawn away and worship them and serve them which Jehovah thy God hath allotted unto all the peoples under the whole heaven. God says, "Don't try to make an image of Him." and don't try to make an image of anything that you bow down and worship it. I wonder how many people carry crosses around or how many people carry a Bible around and they worship the Bible instead of God. I wonder how many people are in love with the church but not in love with God. I wonder how many people are independent in that one fellow told me I just feel closer to God when I'm hiking in the mountains than when I'm in church. So I don't go to church anymore. Well, that sounds good, but that's not what God says. We're very bold when we suggest that God is love and when in, in Psalm 8, 5 through 8, thou hast made him, that's man, a little lower than the angel, crowned him with glory and honor. And then he says, I've given him dominion over all that's in control. But God is love, and it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God, for he that loveth not God, knoweth not God, for God is love. Now here's the point. If I love God, I love you. If I don't love you, I don't love God. And every man is to recognize that every other person is in the image of God. If I don't recognize that, I've missed the point. If I'm going to put my energies into making things that resemble God, I'm wasting my time. Jesus gave an outline of what he wanted from man. And the outline is very simple. And I realize, hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar. Truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him, verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. Let me ask you something. When problems come, how do you settle it? May I suggest that he says, settle it by the word. Hmm? When you have trouble in your home, how do you settle that? When you two get in a fight, how do you settle it? Hopefully by the word. Hopefully you sit down and you say, what does God say about this? He says, Chris, love this girl. Love this girl. And he said, well, God, you just don't know her. No, no. We turn to the word of God. I'm to love that woman. Now, as we said before, if you spend a little time with each person, you're going to find certain things that bug you about them. But they're unimportant. They're unimportant. Totally unimportant. Now, I don't mean everything that a person does. Some things are wicked, and we ought to correct that. God wanted his creatures to seek him, Find him, look up to him, to feel dependence upon him, and to reciprocate his love. Raising four kids, I can remember my oldest daughter. She came to me one day and she was so mad. She said, well, I didn't ask to be born. And I said, you know what? I didn't ask God to give you to me. But I'm stuck with you. Don't have any choice, do you? And you're stuck with me. So let's make the best of it. Well, none of us asked to be born. But I'm sure glad we were. I'm glad we were. I'm glad God gave me the time here. Now, God points out something. And this is the outline. When the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence... They were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him, saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets." Now, he said everything that you're reading about, everything in the Bible, it's hanging up on this. It swings from there. Now, if we get that, if man did this, there's going to be a respect for one another. That's what we're losing in this nation. That's what man is losing. I can't speak in other nations because I haven't been there but we are losing civility of looking at the other individual in the image of God. And people say, well, they do this, they do this, they do this, that's the way they are. No, that's the way they become. And we need to help them to overcome that. Instead of fighting, instead of talking about these things, let's help overcome it. The one thing that we need to recognize is that Jack Juanita and Don and I are going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And we're going to be judged upon how we view God and how we view each other. He says it very simply. And God's purpose to determine the nature of man. When he says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according that he has done, whether it be good or, do, or bad. When I stand there, God, I want to come into your heaven. Why should I let you come into heaven? Well, because of all the good works I did. Did you love me? Did you love one another? Now, that's going to be the judgment. Were we picking each other apart? Do you remember in Galatians, he says, you know, if you bite and devour, chew on one another, you're going to eat yourselves up. You know, we've been fortunate here to love one another. Have we been angry with one another? Absolutely. Any family? Yeah, Does. But do you realize that God is saying you have the ability to determine how you're going to act? Do you realize God is not a respecter of persons? For the Lord your God is God of gods, and Lord of hosts, a great God, mighty and terrible, which regardeth not persons, nor taketh reward. But I'm special, God. God says, no, you're not. I don't care how much education you have. I don't care how little education you have. God says, I don't respect persons. I will treat you just alike. But God, I've got a lot of money. You don't have any money. It's all God. I've got a lot of cattle. No, you don't have any. I'm letting you use it. That's mine. This is all God's. And we, sometime, that's one of the things that makes Paigeie matter than anything, is people get on her road. <laughs> and they won't get out of the way. Remember what he said in Ezekiel 18, 19 through 24. Yet say ye, why why is God so angry? Doth not the Son bear the iniquity of the Father? When the Son hath done that which is lawful and right and kept all the statutes and hath done them, he shall surely live. The soul that sinneth it shall die. The Son shall not bear the iniquity of the Father, neither shall the Father bear the iniquity of the Son. God's not a respecter of persons. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. But if the wicked will turn from all his sins that he hath committed, and keep all my statutes, and do that which is lawful and right, he shall surely live, he shall not die. All his transgressions that he hath committed, they shall not be mentioned unto him. In his righteousness that he hath done, he shall live. Have I any pleasure at all all that the wicked should uh, die? saith the Lord God, and not that he should return from his ways and live, but when the righteous turneth away from his righteousness and committeth iniquity, and doeth according to all the abominations that the wicked man doeth, shall he live. All his righteousness that he hath done shall not be mentioned in his trespasses that he hath trespassed, and in his sin that he hath sinned, in them he shall die. I want you to notice that. Our point we sometimes think that we're special, for there is no respecters, no respect of persons with God. Romans two and verse eleven. And then in Ephesians six nine, and ye masters do the same thing unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven. Neither is there respect of persons with him. Whether you're a laborer or whether you're a work, or whether you're a the boss. Treat them alike. He fulfills a purpose in making man in the first place. Notice Paul wrote in Acts 10, 34 and 35, then Peter opened his mouth and said of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. But God... Don't you understand? I'm a Jew. I'm a Jew. And you're going to give these blessings over here to this man? And Peter said, I just got it, God. I just got it. God is not a respecter of persons, but in every nation, him that feareth the Lord, that's the one God, looks at to save. God gave each of us a free moral choice. That moral self, God says, now give it back to me. Jesus put it this way. Whether therefore you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I wish we could get that. I really wish we could get it. We believe God's search for a people for his own possession in this moral sense has been clearly indicated from the beginning of his revelation of his will. His people are not racially determined, are not simply card-carrying members of some party or church, but are a kind and quality of people. I want you to get that. It's the kind or quality, It's not by race, it's not by strength, it's not by any of those things. And they certainly are not God's, but have taken on God's nature. Here are the people of God. Jesus unto his if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. I have to protect myself, God. John is saying bad things about me and I've got to protect myself. Is it really about you? Is it really about me? Have I denied myself? And have I crucified myself? Have I said my flesh is not going to rule me? But rather I have denied myself. I am taking up my cross to crucify myself, as Paul said, that I die daily. And then I'm going to follow Christ, and whether the hell and the demons of hell come up, I will follow Christ and nothing else. Now, when you get there, you're starting to grow up. Until you get there, you have it. This is what God wants of man. He wants man to surrender to him and be his servant. We believe God's search for a people for his own possession has been chosen for a particular reason to be a particular kind of people. And that's what we're going to be talking about in the future. We're going to look for the next two lessons on why God chose Israel and why God chose a physical Israel and see that it was for a physical purpose to finally accomplish a spiritual end. And once we see that, I think it's going to change the way that we think about the church. His eternal promise. Do you remember? In Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us, through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Now I want to ask you this. If every man would say we have the solution, You know, I've heard people all the time say, well, I was abused when I was a child. That's the way I'm this way. And the psychologists all look and say, I'm going to fit people over here. I'm going to fit Dustin in this, and he's got these problems and so on. And we're going to figure out why you have these problems. I'm going to say this. I don't care why you have the problems. I'm going to give you the solution. Isn't that better? I'll give you the solution. He has given us everything to solve every problem that there ever will come up if we will just use that. Hmm. Hardest thing I do is to come to Don and say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. That's hard. And the hard thing to do is come before God and say, God, I am nothing. And I give myself to you. Thank you for taking me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for helping me. He gave us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Why are there problems? Because I don't have any knowledge. We do what we call proof texting. And proof texting is as I pull a passage here and I pull a passage here and I pull a passage here and I don't get the whole story. We need to find out what the whole story is. Use that in the word of God and we can solve any problem and climb any hill that we want to whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by this you might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust think about getting the divine nature of God in me have you ever heard somebody say that is a godly man that is a godly woman What are they saying? That is being like God. That's being like God. Now, his eternal promise, purpose, promise, and prophecies are found in the Old Testament. And the preparation and perfection of the Christian dispensation are revealed in the New Testament. So, I want to say this in preparation for our sermons. In our studies, we're going to seek to trace the unfolding of His purpose and development for His people. And I'm not going to mention the church as much as His people, but every time I mention the people of God, you're knowing we're going to be talking about Israel or the church. That's his people. And treating man as a free moral agent, hence he is responsible and accountable for the actions. And man's transgression of God's will is sin. Now this is very important, and I'm going to end kind of here. In 1 John 3, 1 through 6, listen carefully. And every man that hath this hope in him purify himself, even as he is pure. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Ladies and gentlemen, what you are seeing in this country today is man is wanting lawlessness, and that means man is wanting sin. Get that? We want to do away with law so that we can practice our sin because sin is missing the mark. And that's the definition of what sin is, is lawlessness. A law that is not enforced is a law that has no meaning. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. And in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. And that word sinneth means I don't practice sin. I don't practice. Whosoever sinneth or whosoever practices sin hath not seen him, neither known him. Now when you're practicing... It's like a doctor, you know what they're practicing on. I haven't perfected it, but I have determined that I'm going to do what's right. Even though I may mess up, I have a repentant mind. And man is held accountable for this. God does for man what man cannot do for himself. And on the condition of obedient, wholehearted faith, God provides the means of escape from sin. In Jesus Christ, sins are forgiven. We can become one of God's people and have the great promise of an eternal home in heaven. That's up to you because you're a human being. Will you seek God out? And if you're a Christian, will you live it? Will you truly surrender to God and say, I love thy law and thy commandments, God? If you're here and have never obeyed the gospel of Christ, why don't you take up your cross? Why don't you deny yourself? Why don't you follow him? As you come, believing in Christ, confessing him, repenting of your sins, and confessing, and then being baptized for the remission of sins. Won't you come while together we stand and sing?